Today on the LA Food Podcast, I'm your host, Lucas Servodio, and it's time to pack your knives and go because another season of Top Chef is in the books. It's over, dear listener. Season 20, the first ever Top Chef World All-Stars and the last season featuring the incomparable Padma Lakshmi has concluded. A champion has been crowned. I'm joined by friend of the pod, Daniel Wargo of Forking Around Social Media fame to break down the epic finale to a truly special season. If you're trying to avoid spoilers, this is not the episode for you, but if you want to relive one of the greatest finales in Top Chef history with a side of spicy takes and heartfelt reminiscing, then you've come to the right place. This episode is entirely about the finale. We'll be back next week with a full season post-mortem featuring Father Saul. That is, of course, contingent on Father Saul still being alive after what I can only imagine will be an irresponsible celebration in the wake of his resounding Top Chef fantasy victory. Congrats, buddy. I'll get you next year. Without further ado, let's chow down. I am stoked to be joined by friend of the pod, the legendary Daniel Wargo, who you might know on social media as Forking Around. Daniel, how you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Dude, a lot has changed since your first appearance on the podcast. Um, I know. All, you're, the, you're the first repeat guest apart from my co-host, Father Saul. So congratulations. Thank you. Second of all, uh, you now have your face attached to a, a bowl of like teriyaki chicken. Is that right? It's a uh, beef. It's like a, it's ah, like a hibachi yeah. beef bowl. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Sorry. I, yeah. That was, that was my bad. Was, yeah. tell, tell us about that real quick. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a bowl uh, called the Daniel Bocce, uh spicy beef teriyaki bowl. It's from a place called Henbachi Grill, which is essentially like a cloud kitchen um, outside of a, a two locations, one in Woodland Hills, which is where I'm based, and then the other is in Anaheim. And um, it's like you, you can get it like you can walk in and get it or you can uh, order it on delivery apps and all that. I think this means you've made it, right? I guess so. You know, some people, I like I said, some people have libraries. I have a bowl, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, it, it's got me thinking what is the food item I most want my face attached to and I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm still on the fence but it's probably some sort of pizza probably would be the best I feel like that yeah. I would buy that pizza in a heartbeat yeah good to know so if any of my uh, pizza friends are listening out there put my face on a pizza and you know I'll agree to it so we can call I it I love the, that idea uh, and I'll just call it the Luca Bocci just to like just to mess with you <laughs> Just to do it, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, it's a great idea. All right. Look, we're here. Enough with the nice cities, okay? We're here yeah. to talk about Top Chef season finale. It was an epic season in London, mm-hmm. um, world all-stars, truly one yeah. of a kind. And I have to say, I think that tonight's finale lived up to the quality of the season. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely, Yeah. That was a, I mean, obviously the whole season has been kind of like a step above the normal seasons. It feels like it almost feels like they're consistently going like that, where they're consistently better and better, but adding all of these stars from, you know, around the world and these chefs from around the world uh, really just changed the game. And tonight's episode was, was no shortage of amazing um, culinary skill and food and all that. So going in, who was your money on? I, you know, I, I, I had my money on Buddha, to be honest. 
um, because I figured, you know, he's he's the freshest. He just is coming out of it and he won. So I figured like, you know, he's going to be he's going to be in great shape. We already know he has like immense skill, technical skill and from from last season. So I just kind of thought like he's the strongest. And obviously I didn't know all the other chefs like from the different. Right. So, I, you know, there was some wild cards there, but I felt like out of the American ones, I was like, it's got to be Buddha. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I mean, he was the favorite, right? He was the, mm-hmm. you know, the Denver Nuggets, the Manchester City. Like he was, mm-hmm. I think he was the safe bet as far as money goes. I think that the way they were editing the show recently, I was almost thinking, oh my God, is Gabri going to win? Um, so too. You know, usually when you're yeah. getting that hero edit that has a ton uh-huh. of the personal background, it could be a sign that big things are in store for you. Um, totally. Spoiler alert, dear listener, Buddha did end up winning. Uh, we're going we're gonna to recount right now <laughs> how that actually went down. But first of all, in terms of Buddha's competitors, there was Gabri and Sarah Bradley, uh, my mm-hmm. girl from Kentucky, who came mm-hmm. back from Last Chance Kitchen. Were you surprised to see any of these three competitors in the final? Um, no, not really. I mean, I think it's always kind of a surprise when someone comes back from last chance kitchen and then not only, you know, I mean, they always come back, but come back and dominate is not, you know, it's happened before, but it doesn't happen always. And so, yeah, I was a little bit surprised that, you know, just to, just to get your bearings again, you know, and, and feel the fire as opposed to just, you know, kind of letting it burn out. She probably benefited from the fact that she wasn't out of the competition for too long. I think she was eliminated, went to Last Chance Kitchen, and then came, came back, right back right away. So I don't think totally. she lost that rhythm because that's a great point. But there yeah. is something special when someone who is eliminated and then goes to Last Chance Kitchen comes back and wreaks havoc. That's yeah, that's an awesome aspect of it's this show. Totally. I love when that happens. And I know it's happened at least once with Kristen and there's another, yeah. I think maybe twice it's happened. I don't know. I, I don't know the stats on that. Definitely getting to the finale, but I think Kristen Kish of uh, the Seattle season is probably the most mm-hmm. famous example of, of someone who went to last chance kitchen came back at that time. I think they came back right at the end and yes. went on to win. Um, kind yeah. of mind blowing. Yeah, that was crazy. One of the first things they get to do during the finale is so the challenge for a finale is to cook a four course progressive meal. And mm-hmm. obviously that's a lot for one chef to do. So they get to choose a sous chef. They bring back the three most recently eliminated chefs and the contestants draw knives. And in the order that they draw the knives, they select their sous chefs. Now in this particular case, Sarah drew the first knife. Um, Gabri drew the second one. And Buddha drew the third one. So Buddha mm-hmm. was at a little bit of a disadvantage. The chefs they brought back as sous chef candidates were Ali, the most handsome man to ever be on Top Chef. <laughs> right. Amar, the least handsome man to ever be on Top Chef. Just kidding. <laughs> no hate to Amar. Um, and three, uh, they brought back Tom. My boy Tom, Tom. The, Germ- yeah. the, the, the angry uh, German who cooks at sea. With the first pick in the draft, Sarah selected Amar. Mm-hmm. Second pick, Gabri selected Tom because they're homies. And third yeah. pick, 
uh, Buddha got Ali. What did you think of that order? Who would you have picked first? Honestly, uh, I would have, if I had first pick, I probably would have gone with Ali just yeah. because, yeah, he was clearly a competitor. And so, um, and you can tell his work ethic is like top notch, you know, he's not, gonna, yeah. he's just going to do it. Whereas like, I'd be a little bit scared with Tom. That <laughs> Oh, sorry. That's my dog. Aww. Joining that's the what's, what's their name? He's, his name is Sherman. Oh, he's a, he's a, he's a, he, him. He's a he, him. Yeah. Sherman, come on. I brought his bed over here so he would try to stay calm, but he heard someone outside. So that's what we or get. He's just, um, he's just celebrating Buddha's win. I think that that was one of the biggest mistakes of the entire episode was mm-hmm. Gabri letting Ali slip. No disrespect yeah. to Tom, but Ali was one of the chefs that performed the best the entire show. And mm-hmm. my co-host and I, Father Saw, we did fantasy top chef right and on the fantasy top chef board ali was the dude who got the most points i mean clearly wow. these clearly these uh contestants weren't looking at the stats right yeah seriously they were not as well i think sarah had that little book remember they mm. showed in not in this episode but in an episode before where she was like this is who won and she should have. i mean although i think amar might have been the right choice for her yeah her rationale uh, made sense. She said, "Like yes, he cooks with big flavors. I mm-hmm. tend to gravitate towards big flavors. Also, I mean, when you're picking a sous chef, you also want to pick somebody you know you can work with, who you know can handle yeah. tasks. And yeah, you know, Amar seems like the kind of guy who can put his head down and get to work. Yeah, totally. It 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 kind of everyone made sense with where they went. You know, like I was not yeah. surprised." to see Gabri pick Tom, obviously, because they've been tight the whole season. And and Sarah made sense with Lamar. And Buddha, I think, had he had first pick, he would have ended up with the same choice. 100%. Because Buddha is a competitor, and he's strategic. Yeah. And yes. I'm sure if anybody knew the stats, it was Buddha. The yes. next step of the finale is basically to run your sous chef through your meal concept. And, mm-hmm. you know... Typically, these are not concepts that they come up with on the fly. These are most likely concepts that have been in the chef's heads for some time. Because if you make it to the finale, you know, you've got to be ready to cook the best meal you have ever cooked. The concepts were Buddha wanted to depart from what he did on the last season, which he won in Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, that that one was all about his his family, I believe, and his his late dad. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a yeah. very personal touch to that, right? His dad had mm-hmm. just passed away. He's the guy who right. taught him how to cook, and he centered his whole meal. And his concept this time was, I'm not going to do this one for my family or for my dad. I'm doing this one for me. This meal right. is going to be a reflection of me. And he, as a very international person who grew up in Australia, lives in America now, um, has Malaysian and uh, uh, Hong Kong roots. He wanted mm-hmm. each single course to reflect one of those. I thought that was a really strong concept personally. And I wasn't surprised. Totally. No, it was a great concept. I think he, he, you know, you could tell he had been thinking about it. He, he's, you can kind of also see where he's grown as a chef since last season through this season and wanting to kind of put his own spin on things and, you know, show all of what he is, which 
you know, all of those things that he showed in there still encompassed his family, even though it was, you know, focused on his background and his perspective through these different uh, cultures and, and cuisines. On the flip side, Sarah tried to do something similar. She also wanted her food to be a reflection of where she comes from, the foods she gravitates towards. And so she created something that was uh, influenced by Southern food, uh, Creole food, French food, which is a, a technique she loves, and something very personal to her, which was a dessert that her mom made. Um, her concept to me was like the perfect personification of her style versus Buddha's. It was basically the same concept, right? It was like, I'm going to put mm -hmm. me and all my cultures that I relate to on a plate. But the way she did it yeah. was less clean cut than Buddha. Like Buddha mm -hmm. went first dish America, second dish Malaysia, third dish Hong Kong, fourth dish Australia. Sarah was mm -hmm. like, I'm just getting in there, sprinkling things of everything everywhere. And it's yeah. but it's going to be me on a plate throughout. But still- relatively strong concept i thought totally i think she i think she really stuck true to her roots you know we, what we know her for and um you know and she kind of incorporated that like more rustic i, I hate to call it rustic because it's not you know it's still very refined but yeah. it has these humble, like though. southern roots to it yeah it's humble and it's like homey you know it feels very like you know come on over y'all and taste this yeah. Like, I, I haven't been to Kentucky, but that's my guess of how people act there. <laughs> that is. I mean, I think that is definitely uh, Southern hospitality, right? Uh, yeah. I, got a pot of, I got a pot of this stew and uh, you're going to come over and have some, whether you like it or not. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Very much. And then Gabri also, his concept was, was A, the most predictable and B, the most straightforward, mm -hmm. which was just, he was just going Mexican balls to the wall and yep. nothing not to like about that. Although it kind of makes you mm -hmm. worry, like, does he have enough direction, right? Is there enough mm -hmm. specificity here for him to pull something really special out of the bag? I think his, his idea to go very humble with the ingredients was a definite, you know, like positive in his menu building there that was different. It was not you know, it was refined, but it wasn't like, you know, no, we didn't see any lobster or any, you know, we saw like ground beef and, and grasshoppers I don't and grasshoppers. Yeah, exactly. So, so I think, but yeah, we do, we, we've seen him cook Mexican all season, elevated Mexican food. And it was not surprising that he went that direction for his final meal, of course. The chefs then, after they've come up with their concepts, head to the kitchen and start the cook. It's a two day cook for all intents and purposes, I thought this was a pretty smooth cook. A lot of the, a lot mm -hmm. of times, you know, use in the finale, you know, tensions are high, uh, nerves right. are sky high, and they're running around the kitchen. Things get dropped, things get messed up. There was one key mistake, which was that Gabri uh, fucked up his beans again. Uh, famously, he mm -hmm. burned his beans and he burned lentils in a previous uh, episode, <laughs> and. Right. Literally, the one thing he probably did not want to do was burn beans. And all of a sudden, <laughs> one of the chefs goes, hey, is something burning? Of course. <laughs> it was the beans. It's Gabri's beans. <laughs> Gabri's beans. I, uh, I want to say he should probably get 
like some sort of like uh, official sanction from the Mexican government for this, right? I mean, if you can't cook beans, I don't really know. Can you still be a citizen of Mexico? I don't know the answer to that. It's a question. <laughs> it's a question. It's a question. Um, it's a legit question. And I, and, and I was very worried for him at that point because I was like, okay, if he's, if he's fucking up the beans again, what else is he going to screw up on? Um, right. It ended up being pretty smooth. There was no real drama yeah. in the cook. There was a little bit of I mean, drama. You, with the liver, but that really, we didn't get the drama in there. We got it like right as she was plating of being like, ah, that's undercooked. Exactly. Okay. So one of the like pivotal moments of this episode was Sarah's second course, which was a liver dish, which at the very last mm. moment of the cook, which was more of the plating, you know, it was the last possible moment she realizes that her liver is extremely raw um, and she has no choice but to serve it in that, in that sense. So yeah, I guess you could say that was a pretty, uh, a pretty gnarly it was moment a big, to cook. They did seem to like try to throw some drama when they were grocery shopping. I think mm-hmm. there just wasn't drama in this episode. So it was like, Oh, are we not gonna be able to find lobster? Am I not gonna be able to find plantains or whatever? You know? And it was like, there was, but then it's, it's Paris. They had everything. Yeah. They just went somewhere else, you know? It's true. I, I was looking for the little seeds of drama along the way. There was one moment where uh, Gabri is running Tom through the menu and uh, Gabri, uh, and Tom goes, oh, it's fine. You can just use agar agar for that to thicken. I remember that. Yeah. And if you know anything about Top Chef, those kinds of like thickening agents, whether it's xanthan gum or agar agar, right. they always Not buy a buyer. Right. I was like, yeah. this is going to be, this is, th- we're going to come back to this. And we didn't, we didn't actually. <laughs> it never brought it up again. Yeah. One thing I want to talk about before we get to the service, and we'll also talk through all the menu dishes in that portion. Yeah. One of my favorite parts about past seasons is uh, the last night before service, there's this like really special moment where the chefs get together in a random location. And they used to make it like dramatic, like, oh, is there going to be a last minute challenge or a last minute wrench? But really what Mm -hmm. it was, was they would show up to like wherever Tom was staying and he would cook them all like a gorgeous meal and they'd all sit around, you know, a fire with Padma and Gail and they would like, you know, get drunk and, you know, have fun. This time they didn't do that. They didn't go, they didn't have a Tom cook. They went to uh, the restaurant Marsan by Helene de Rose, who is the uh, French Tom Colicchio, basically, in terms of Mm -hmm. being a top chef judge. I got to say, I missed, I missed the Tom cook, you know, I'm sure the food was really good, but that special moment just, you know, I, uh, I was, I found myself, you know, longing for it. A little bit missing it. I don't know. I, I, you know, I didn't have that same, like that same feeling. I, I, what I felt about that moment was like, this is a really special scene. I just felt, and especially knowing, and I don't, I know we're going to, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but like knowing that Padma is leaving now mm-hmm. and knowing that, you know, um, knowing how big this season was in terms of, you know, the all-star season or whatever, uh, it just felt, I don't know. It didn't bother me, especially because it wasn't really that, that chef, like was with she was presenting the dishes, but she wasn't like dining at the table with them. So it was still just really them. Yeah, but I do know what you mean because I do love those se- 
scenes where Tom's cooking and it's very like homey. And I think maybe fundamental, the fundamental flaw is just, I uh, have too much emotional reliance upon this show, which you do not have. So, um, <laughs> this I have that with be, other things. Yeah. 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 The, like the, the Daniel Bot people. Um, yeah. this maybe <laughs> this may just be a me problem is what I'm learning. Um, <laughs> Look, let's get to the part that everybody's waiting for, which is the service. Uh, we're going to run through the dishes at each course. So the service was done at mm-hmm. at, uh, at a you know sick palatial French restaurant. The judges were there was like the head of Michelin there. There was all the like mm-hmm. epic chefs like Marcus Samuelson, who's like still mm-hmm. dressing like Pharrell in 2013. Yes, There's, uh, Claire Smith. <laughs> Uh, where they had restaurant wars at her restaurant in London. There was just uh, a who's who of culinary giants that maybe like the layperson doesn't know, but it's the type of people that like Buddha absolutely worships uh, and has a shrine to right. back at his at his uh, overpriced New York yeah. apartment. Just, so I can totally see that he has that shrine. Like he oh, probably has a whole room. That shrine exists, and I don't want to. I don't want to know what happens in that shrine. I just don't. I just um, can see everything. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Don't see too much. You don't want to see too no. much. Okay. Just enough. Mo- just enough. We're we're moving on. First course. First course. Yeah. It's time to get served. So Sarah, for her first course, did a take. On Cuvillon, which is uh, a, a southern, uh, I believe, a Creole, a French Creole shellfish dish. She kind mm-hmm. of made it her own in that she did a crudo with it instead of cooking the fish. Um, mm-hmm. There was a little bit of drama with this dish because she made like a tomato water that was initially extremely spicy, but it yeah. mellowed out before they served it. And that turned out okay. Right. Gabri's first dish was a take on esquites, the uh, popular Mexican street street corn, basically. Um, and he added wheat la coche puree and made this like grasshopper tostada with it. So it was just like screaming Mexico, right? Mm-hmm. The first dish for Buddha was a rainbow trout with a clam velute, which was supposed to be a take on clam chowder, hearkening to his sort of like American parts of his of his you know, cultural affinities. Any first initial takes on the dishes when they came out? I mean, they all looked beautiful. They really uh, all had their own, you know, their own beauty to them. I I think the thing that I was most surprised with myself by was going like, I, cause I've always sworn I'll eat anything. I just won't eat bugs, you know? <laughs> and uh, I was like, no, nah, I'd eat that. I would put that in my mouth for sure. Well, so, funnily enough, that was the one thing they took issue with during this course. They they took issue. They loved all of the dishes, um, but the judges thought that the grasshopper tostada was a little too thick and a little mm-hmm. on the overcooked side. So, right, that's but true. Besides that, this was a pretty much a flawless course. Yeah, it, it really. I I thought Buddha's uh, take on the clam chowder. It was so beautiful, gorgeous. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. even remember everything that was in it, but it just, yeah, it, it sounded amazing. So based on the judging, who do you think won this round? It, it seems like it was between Sarah and Buddha, leaning Buddha. The, their one critique basically was the lack of acid in the dish. But it yeah. didn't seem, it kind of seemed like their critique was like, if you were to tweak it, this is 
you know, this is like a the first try, the second try, you had a little more acid. You know, it was kind of like easy fix kind of thing. Yeah, and that's why I think actually Sarah edged the first round because there weren't mm. any critiques of her dish. And that's true. Um, yeah. I, I think it was Gail who during judges table said that if she were to have to go back and have one of those first courses again, she would have had Sarah's again. So that's to right. Me, she did say that. I think it was a really, really close round, but I think Sarah took that one by a hair personally. I, I like that. I can I can see that for sure. I like that you agree because this is gonna this is really gonna, you know, uh show you why I'm so pissed at the final result because so we can agree Sarah Sarah took the first the first round by a hair. Yeah, I can yeah, by a hair. Yeah. By a hair. Okay. Second yeah. course. We're moving on to the second course. We've got a really special dish from Buddha, which was a blue lobster with squash and curry bisque. It's basically a take on a classic Malaysian dish. Um mm -hmm. Gabri went with he kept calling this thing uh, empanada, but he also called it a ravioli at some point. But basically, he made a dough with the sweet potato and mm -hmm. called it a sweet potato empanada. And there was pasilla chili used. Um, there was a black bean puree. And um, the judges really liked the flavors of this one. Um, and finally, mm -hmm. this was the moment where Sarah pulled out her liver. Um, not literally, but honestly, her, the liver pretty inside close. her body, yeah, pretty, pretty close. The liver, <laughs> the liver inside her body was probably just as cooked as the one she served on the plates. Um, yes. <laughs> the, the dish sounded weird to me to begin with. She was serving a veal mm -hmm. liver with an onions with cookie butter mm -hmm. and figs. Yeah, I couldn't wrap my mind around what the cookie butter was supposed to because all I've tried is the cookie butter from Trader Joe's. Yeah. And I'm like, that doesn't work. <laughs> is that <laughs> what we're talking about? <laughs> I mean, I think it is traditional to serve liver with some sweet elements, but I was like, oh uh -huh. yeah, it makes sense. A sweet, a sweet thing a, a, next to the liver. But then she's like figs yeah. as well. And I and I was like, now you lost me. You know, I was like, yeah, one yeah. thing maybe, but two. Yeah, you locked me. Well, didn't she? Wasn't she looking for sweetbread during that? Because like, yes. I thought that she mentioned that early, and then she asked about it at the shop. So did she pivot, or was that always her plan? I that is a great question. I think I think she kept the same concept of the dish, but instead of sweetbreads, mm -hmm. used veal liver because that's what was available at the store. So maybe Got that came, maybe that played a part into you know how she yeah maybe the dish. Yeah. Huh. Well, yeah. I mean, regardless, you, you, she didn't cook the meat. So yeah. It, yeah. Safe to say that uh, Sarah lost this round by a lot. I also think she like she lost it and the hair that she had was taken away on the last round. Like that's how bad she lost this round. In yeah. My personal opinion. It was, it was, <laughs> it was. Yeah, this was the kind of error that unfortunately you cannot come back from. Um, no. And there needs to be an equal error on other people's parts. Yeah. To, yeah, yeah. to recover from that. And Buddha, I think Buddha maybe edged out Gabri on this one because mm -hmm. while they really liked Gabri's empanada raviolo thing, they also said it kind of was 
one texture. One it texture. All, yeah. Yeah. It was kind of soft all there was, around. I think one note that there was too much cheese sauce or something that he used. The other critique was also for Buddha. Um, they mm-hmm. called his curry. Someone called his curry dense. And at that point, I was mm-hmm. like, "Ooh, that's a that's a t- that's a check mark against." But then Padma comes yeah. in and says, but Padma the curry, comes, "Yeah, she's like the curry was luscious." And I'm like, "Okay, yeah. well, yeah, whoever curry said safe. it was dense, whoever said it was dense can go fuck yourself." Because <laughs> if Padma likes it, that's all that matters, right? That's all that matters. It's all we care about. It's all we care about. Um, <laughs> so for that reason, I think second round goes to Buddha with Sarah losing a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, I'm, we're we're right on the same page there. Right on the same page. Okay, third course. What we have going on here is Buddha trots out a Hong Kong dish called Nao Lam. With uh, it's it's basically a dish where you use like every part of the lamb. Um, he serves wow. it with roasted eggplant and a lamb croquette. It's braised in oyster stock, which has a very special uh, meaning for him because his dad's restaurant. Um, basically has this like oyster stock that's that's older than Buddha is, which makes me think like mm-hmm. y'all should maybe consider getting a new stock, but it's, I'm not <laughs> that, the chef. I really had a lot yeah. of thoughts there. I was like, yeah. do we clean the pan or <laughs> the pot? Or- <laughs> I'm like the Australian equivalent of like, uh, you know, the restaurant inspection people are, uh, are really, you know, slack in here. Yeah. Um, but, it, it, that that was supposed to be an, an ode to his Hong Kong roots and to his dad's Hong yeah. Kong roots, critically, right? And uh, right. Gabri, third course, he makes the Mexican national dish, but like a kind of like wacky version of it, chile and nogada. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then Sarah brings out burgoo, which is apparently the Kentuckian version of gumbo. And she serves it with with like a bunch of little accoutrements, um, like a boudin, like, you know, uh, the sort of like uh, the the blood sausage pudding thing mm-hmm. um, and uh, a cornbread madeleine, which is supposed to be crumbled into the uh, into the gumbo. All of these dishes were extremely successful, even though chile nogada, which everybody kind of like raised an eyebrow when they ate it. Um, they were like, these are wacky flavors, but we're into it. Um, yeah. No, no, really. There were really no negatives about this this course Mm-mm, none at all I, I, I mean it's it was it's really hard to say who, who who had the best dish or you know i mean without tasting it obviously but just go, going off their reactions from it it was everyone executed what they meant to and it seemed to to be successful yeah the moment where i was like Ooh, buddha might not win this is the way they were talking about his dish is they kept calling it elegant, proficient, you know, well executed and stuff. Technique. Technique, yeah, yeah. right? But they never talked about like its soul. Like when they talked about mm-hmm. the other dishes, they like they really felt like the heart came through on the other dishes. And so for a moment there, I was thinking, "Oh, is Buddha going to be too perfect to win this?" Mm-hmm. Who knows. Right. It, on judges table, I felt like I tried to find the tiniest little like indications that someone did better than somebody else. But I think it's a tie. I think it was a tie. Yeah. My early inclination during the actual meal, when, when Tom said something about Gabri, Gabri's, uh, Gabri, I always say Gabri or Gabri. I can't, it's Gabri with a B. Right. 
Yeah. But I think sometimes it sounds like it's with a V when he says it. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> that was a total side note. Uh, but Tom said something about how, you know, he didn't know how to place it, but, but he really liked it or something like that. And I was like, well, it sounds like this dish was really surprising to yeah. these judges. And so I thought that might bode well for him. Um, just based on doing something they, they didn't know they, they liked and they didn't even know how to put it together, essentially. Yeah, there were also, I think, like at least one Mexican judge at the table, maybe two. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they, they really liked the dish. And so that, yes. you know, that I, I can see why you might have like thought, okay, well, actually, Gabri with a B might be uh, edging yeah. this one out. But ultimately, I just don't think there was enough to separate them there. Right. So yeah. at this point, we're going into the fourth fourth course, and mm-hmm. we agree Sarah won the first round by a hair. By um, a hair. Buddha won over Gabri by a hair in the second round, but Sarah mm-hmm. lost by a lot. And the third mm-hmm. one, it's a complete tie. Effectively so, a tie, yeah. So Buddha is on aggregate ahead by a hair over Gabri here. Yes. Okay, this is where it gets really interesting because the dessert course mm-hmm. was one of the best dessert courses I can remember in Top Chef history. In fact, Same. I, think, I think a lot of times not even everybody does dessert for the fourth course because- They skip them, yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah. And here everybody did one, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone, yeah. So Buddha trotted out a lamington, which is a traditional Australian-like- cake that's covered in chocolate and rolled in coconut he served it with uh, like a raspberry type uh, uh accompaniment mm-hmm. gabri made a chocolate tamal um which looked really good he served it with some sort of like goat cheese concoction um so really elevated it and mm-hmm. sarah when she first mentioned what she was making i was like i'm out i'm out on sarah i don't it's care that she's my I don't care that she's my only remaining contestant in Fantasy Top Chef. I'm out. Um, she was making a cake with English peas. Apparently, it's a family recipe, uh, something that her mom would make um, when her mom was helping her out with the desserts at her restaurant. She served it with a buttermilk sorbet and some lemon curd. I mean, this was an incredible round in that uh, the judges loved absolutely everything, but they adored the pea cake. Yes, that was, yeah, by far their favorite. Who said it was the favorite thing they ate all day? Was it Padma? I think it was Padma, yeah. That's huge. That's high It's praise. huge, yeah. And she cried when she talked about it, kind of. I've ever seen that. No. Has she cried well, before? I, I'm sure she's teared up at some point during Top Chef, but I think, yeah. do you think that was maybe an early indication that she knew? That this was going to be her last. Yeah, I do think so. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it was clear she was touched by something, whether it was that she knew she was leaving or or the growth of the chefs. I don't know, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That that touched me honestly. It was. It was touching. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I mean, based on the fact that Padma cried and that she said it was the best thing she ate all night, mm-hmm. I think I think it's safe to say Sarah won that round, right? Yeah, the only thing I will say is I kind of feel, and I don't know that we got this for sure, but I think Gail's favorite was Buddha's. Mm, because okay. she did, she had a lot of praise for that. She praised it at the table 
when they were eating and at judge's table. Uh, so yeah, but the way she praised it, if I recall at the, at the dinner was she said, Ooh, chocolate and coconut. It's a, it's a great combination. And yeah, you know, I could have given her like a bounty bar, um, or an almond joy and maybe she would have mm-hmm. said the same thing. Right. She so I said the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. maybe it has nothing don't to do with I think, you, yeah, I think you're right in saying that, you know, it, it was the pea cake, which as disgusting as that sounds, I guess <laughs> it, it, it won that round. And it must be really disgusting if you can't get on board. And I know you have like British heritage and that's like your I've natural. Heard of that, but... Yeah. But it's like peas. That's like your thing, right? Like I love peas, you know, or like yeah. a mushy peas with my fish and chips, but I don't want it in a cake. I want cake in a cake. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, it's a fair assessment. You know, so recapping the judging, Sarah mm-hmm. won round one by a hair. Sarah lost round two by a lot, but Buddha maybe won by a hair over Gabri. Round three was a tie, and Sarah won mm-hmm. dessert. Now, the mm-hmm. thing, so we know how this ends. Buddha won, right? Mm-hmm. But, and, and I have to say, based on our assessment, I think that's fair because yeah, Sarah may have won round one by a hair, and she may have won dessert, but the fact that she lost round two by a lot. Like and they couldn't even eat it. That's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. She was, I think she would have won had that meal been successful. And that is why I am so annoyed. So she is my only remaining contestant (laughs) this entire season. I have been like completely screwed by the top chef gods. And Mm -hmm. tonight I really felt like I had it in the bag. If it wasn't for that liver. It's, it's a true bummer. I mean, I'm sure she's beating herself up more than, you're beating yourself up, but I understand. It's, I don't know. It's <laughs> yeah. You have to come on here and and admit to it. So that that is face tough. the music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She just really gets tough. to go home. You know. So does yeah, that man. mean Father well, Saul won? Oh, Father Saul had won by a lot, like even before oh, this like, episode. Okay, but okay. He was a runaway winner, but I at mm. least could have had the bragging rights of. But I got the champion. I don't even get that. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Hey, what are you, what are you doing next season? I'm thinking of uh, getting a new partner for Fantasy Top Chef. I'm all in. I was just going to say <laughs> I want to be a part of this. Uh, I love <laughs> fantasy and I want I love Top Chef. So we're going to make it happen. We're going we're going to get you back Sounds for the draft. Wait, I, this was mostly me just uh, being a sore loser against Father Saul, but uh, but uh, absolutely we'll get you in. I'm down. I'm so down. So look, I want to end on the note of what it was like to see Padma for the last time. You know, we heard like last Friday, I think it was that she will not be returning to the show. Um, She's done 20 seasons. She's packing her knives and she's leaving. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was a lot of emotion in this episode. She teared up, you know, they showed her giving a little speech at the end. Um, Yeah. I, I don't know, man, it hit my emotions. How did it make you feel? Same. Yeah. I love, I love her and she is such a force on that show. And honestly, I think she's grown through that. We've seen her grow through that show, not only as a, you know, as, as a human, but as a host with her level of confidence and also as just someone who, you know, knows food. And I think there was never like, 
I, I, I kind of remember and because I, I didn't really get into Top Chef till like 2016. So I was like binging all the seasons like at once. And I remember yeah. thinking like, does Padma even know what she's talking about? You know, or are they rolling her eyes at, at her? Well, you know, like I never knew. Well, I it's a good question because I could be wrong, but I think when she started, she was the presenter, but not a judge. Yeah, I think you're I, right. And then she made her way to the judges table. So, right. you know, it's, I, I do definitely think, I mean, look, I think they've all grown over t- the yeah. course of 20 seasons, but certainly I think totally. Padma has become like such a force in the world of food. And I'm not sure that she even would have wanted that. <laughs> When she right. uh, got into this, right? It may right. have just been like a good check. A good um, gig, yeah. Because mo- she was kind of working as a model and, yeah. you know, you get, a, you get a good gig and it's a good gig. And then all of a sudden, and maybe, she, I'm sure she was passionate about food. Yeah, you know, and that's clear. Uh, if you've seen uh, Taste the Nation on Hulu, her show. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Really great show. But, you know, she has like a whole episode on sort of her upbringing with food and her mom's cooking and stuff. So, Oh, I got to watch that one. Oh, it's good, man. Uh, highly cool. recommend. And now that's the only way to get Podma in your life. So sad, 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 sad. Daniel, any final thoughts? I've kept you till 11 p.m. Thank you so much, bro. Yeah, of course. No, I'm, I'm glad to do this. It was a it was a great season. I'm happy that Buddha won. I, I'm just happy that this that now we have kind of like this new canon of Top Chef uh, chefs stars and 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 i hope that that we do this again where there's a a world all-star version yeah yeah i hope that that's a thing i think it has to be based on how good this season was it Mm -hmm. has to be dude yeah thank you so much i am uh, let's get together over some daniel bocce bowls what do you think let's do it i'm down for those who live under a rock where can people find you uh you can find me on instagram or tiktok forking around tv uh, on either of those places. Anything you want to plug? Any anything you got going on? Any uh, competitions? Pizza competitions? Burrito? I'm competition? doing the pizza competition ended uh, in Orange County, and now we're just doing the breakfast burrito in LA competition right now. Um, but I'm taking my sweet time with that one. So, have you been to I, uh, Los Feliz Cafe? I have. Yeah, it was okay. Uh, I loved that one. All right. I got Definitely. some more recommendations for you, so we'll have to chat. Please send them my way. I'm looking for the best breakfast burrito in LA for sure. All right. Well, we know it's not Kofax. <laughs> we know that one. That one's out <laughs> of the running. <laughs> Daniel, thanks, man. Appreciate you. Great you, to see you. Thanks you, for having me. You can now pack your knives and leave. I w- oh, for the people on the podcast yeah i was packing my knives he was yeah. mimicking packing his knives <laughs> thanks man okay thank you thanks for listening to another episode of the la food podcast thanks to our guest daniel wargo for joining us for this insanely late night recording I know that I'm definitely going to go get myself a Daniel Bocce Bowl, and I think you should do the same. If you like what you heard today, please go to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating, a review, subscribe if you should be so inclined. We'll be back next week with a full postmortem. If you're looking for me in the meantime, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at the LA Countdown. That's T-H-E-L-A-C-O-U-N-T-D-O-W-N. You can also find me at the LA Food Pod on Instagram. That's L A. F-O-O-D-P-O-D. Damn, I'm good at spelling.